Do hard times hurt us or help us? Well, my answer may surprise you. Then again, it probably won't. Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, hi, we've got a lot of great questions today to cover as usual. Hey, I prefaced it by saying, do hard times hurt us or help us? We're going to talk a little bit about adversity today. Our sponsor is Casper. Casper Mattresses got a unique offer for you coming up in just a little bit on that. Well, here's some of the questions we're going to be looking at today. Dan, I just got fired and I feel like my whole world is crumbling. Any of you identify with that? Isn't that the way we typically feel when we lose a job or have a business fail or wreck our car or the washing machine goes out, whatever, you know, gee, our whole world is crumbling. Certainly there's nothing but bad in that. Well, we'll look at that a little bit. And how can we change the culture of my church? Now there's an interesting question. And are there any well-known people who are autistic? Somebody writes in, they have a son who's autistic. Is there hope for him being well-known, doing something significant? Dan, I'm a salesman, but I need a guaranteed salary with benefits. Now, there's a questionable counterposition. A salesperson, but need a guaranteed salary? I don't think so. We'll talk about that. Quotation for the day comes from Horace, who says, As a rule, adversity reveals genius and prosperity hides it. Now, here's some of the success stories we've got today. We'll just run through a few of these. Got a whole bunch of them. Erin Casey talked about a, a book that she had a chance to work on. It's called Live Happy, 10 Practices for Choosing Joy. Just was released. Even made an appearance on the Today Show. She says, if you check it out, be sure to take a look at page 88. Dan Miller graciously allowed me to interview him for the chapter on meaning. So anyway, check out the book. Live Happy, 10 Practices for Choosing Joy. Thanks, Aaron, for sharing that. Uh, Jim Judge sent me a note. Loved his update. Said, I was recently on a flight and began journaling about the extraordinary results I've had over the last three years. And after looking at the core of my success, well, he, he's very gracious and complimenting me and how I played a role in influencing him. Anyway, here's the deal. He, he got, he read 48 Days to the Work You Love in 2011, attended Right to the Bank, with his wife, Tiffany, in 2012, attended Coaching with Excellence and Coaching Mastery in 2013. So he's invested a significant amount of money to come to all of those events and get those products here. Well, you know my rule of thumb. If you invest anything here and don't get a 10 times return in the first year, something's wrong. Well, Jim goes on. He says, I've seen my annual income double from, it was already in six figures, but double it from 2011 to 2014. Now I'm being sought after by a Fortune 100 company, negotiating again for another 25% annual income increase. I don't believe I'd be here right now without your coaching and friendship. Now, again, this is not always about money in terms of creating a meaningful life. But Jim had some things that were readily accessible to him. He was ready to go. He just needed a clear focus. So in his description, he's gone in income 
from 100,000 to 200, and now, you know, negotiating for 250. As I look at moving into a new opportunity and applying what I've learned to create new entrepreneur opportunities at another large corporation, I'm also excited about the additional financial and time margin that I'll have to focus more on building my executive coaching practice while continuing to build my credibility and brand in the corporate market, which is my client avatar for executive coaching. I received one of the highest compliments recently from Tiffany, his wife, the other day when she asked me if I was working or playing. I thought about you and smiled. Well, thanks again for putting pen to paper in 48 Days to the Work You Love, continuing coaching through the live events. Tiffany and I recently signed up for Innovate this year. I look forward to seeing you again in May. Now, that comes from somebody who's been here for multiple events. You hear how his success has escalated in that period of time, and he and his wife are coming back for Innovate in May. Hey, if you're coming to Innovate, you'll be a, have a chance to meet Jim and Tiffany, delightful couple. So, uh, yeah, come and join us. Start your own progress just like he laid it out here. This comes from... Uh, Todd and Emily. Now, Todd and Emily are the couple that did the song that you hear at the end of the podcast, 48 Days Song. Stuck in a J-O-B. That's it. They they did that totally on their own. A delightful song. We love having it as part of our podcast. They have just launched a Kickstarter campaign to build a new sound studio in their house. They have a real cute introductory video on that talking about having you know three little kids and another un, another one on the way how it's hard to have quiet time and how they have interruptions you know doors slamming uh, commodes flushing those kind of things that are likely to be happening they need a sound studio now they put it together in a really unique way so everybody gets bonuses for participating in that but hey check it out i'll put a link to it in the show notes but it's simply kick todd two d's kick todd and emily Dot com. So check it out. I'll have a note there again. Let's, uh, let's show them that we appreciate what they're doing and I want them to be continuing in their success as well. Justin says, I want to tell you about an amazing opportunity I have. I recently started working for a new employer and the team I'm on when I started was every morning having a 30 minute morning motivational meeting or MMM for short. They recently stopped doing that because they realized that 30 minutes was cutting into a, a lot of production time. However, my manager still liked the idea, so I presented it to him that I would like to do morning motivational email to the team and keep that going because the team also liked the MNMMs and liked the motivation every morning, even though it was cutting into the productivity of the morning. My manager said, yes, that would be okay for me to send that out. Who knows what it'll lead to, but I thought you'd like seeing that as as how 48 Days started in the same way, where you had information, motivation that you wanted people to hear regardless of the return. Well, hey, thanks for sharing that, Justin. You know, it's interesting that a company looks at it like that. Now, I know this is a tough kind of thing. You know, when, when you're not working, I mean, I grew up in an environment where you were rewarded for productive work, not for thinking or for getting more knowledge or for going to a seminar workshop. It was for production. That's what was rewarded in the farming environment. Well, what about today? What about if you take time to think? There's some pretty illustrious leaders out there. Like, well, Henry Ford said he didn't want people who just worked all the time. He wanted people who would put their feet up in their desk and think because he knew that's where the best creative ideas came from that would propel the company forward. 
You know, so the company is saying 30 minutes every morning is taken away from productive time. That's the old Abe Lincoln thing. He said if he had, you know, six hours to cut down a tree, he'd spend the first two hours sharpening the saw, something like that. You know, I, I personally dedicate two hours a day to just learning, not to just doing things, but just learning, reading, studying, listening. I mean, I'm going through an audio series right now that is just rocking my brain because it's so profound. But, you know, this idea that we only thing that counts as productivity is really a short-sighted approach to how we get the most done. Well, frame it for however it works for your situation. Hope that's encouraged you. Justin, thanks for sharing sharing that little piece with us there for sure. Well, hey, with that, let's uh, go right into here. Just get our little piece in here from Queen. We are the champions. We do love getting these success stories. Got a whole lot of them. There's some more that I'm going to weave in to the conversation here as we move on. I wanted to share those real quickly. You got a success story? We'd love to hear it. Include it in our champions piece here on the 48 Days Podcast. Just go to 48days.com. Click on the Ask Dan link. You can shoot it in there. Or simply, as most of you know, just shoot me an email directly at askdan at 48days.com. Well, hey, I want to tell you about my friends at Casper Mattress just real quickly. You hear me bragging about it all the time. Got some new products coming out that I'm going to be excited to share with you. Not just the mattress, but some other things as well. But the mattress is the bomb. We have people that come and check it out. The first thing they want to see, to see it, feel it, touch it. And we're delighted to let them do that in our guest room. So we give people a lot of opportunity to experience the Casper when they're around here. Now, this is a really, really great mattress at a very, very shockingly fair price. I mean, it's got just the right sink, just the right bounce. It has that nice combination. One of the things that, that I really think is cool, too, they got a free trial trial period. You can use it for 100 days. <laughs> They'll send it to you free. You can sleep on it for 100 days. If you aren't delighted with it, just let them know. They'll pick it up and take it out of your, take it out of your house. They're made in America. You only pay... 500 for a twin size mattress, 950 for a king size, which is, of course, what we have. But uh, and now here's the deal. You can get $50 toward any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash sleep you love. That's our unique code. Casper.com slash sleep you love. And then use the code sleep you love. When you go there, you'll see that there's a special landing page for 48 days people. So check it out. Get a mattress so you get the sleep that you need so you can be productive like you need to be. Well, Stacy says, I'd like help in knowing how to coach a church committee. We're an old downtown church with a growing worship attendance, but a plateaued Sunday school program. My pastor has asked for my help as a consultant to lead in this ministry since I lead a growing Sunday school class, have seminary training, a doctorate in education, and experience serving in the local church. I believe we need to change the culture, the mindsets and beliefs of our church about the potential of our church and Sunday school, starting with the Sunday school council. Any thoughts or suggestions? Wow. I mean, this, this, this goes deep when we talk about churches that are losing members, churches that are no longer attracting people. I mean, it's a real challenge to get people to come and sit in the pews 
and just listen to somebody. It's so easy to access information. And when you think about how times have changed, used to be that to get that motivational, inspirational, challenging, spiritual direction, you had to go to church. You weren't going to get it anywhere else. Well, think about it now. You can pull up on your iPhone 10,000 different options for great messages from the best speakers in the world. You can jump on YouTube, you know, anything on the Internet. You can go on there and get those things. You can get together in other groups. You can go to workshops and seminars where it's going to be inspirational and teaching as well. And boy, to get people to carve out time on a Sunday morning to sit. And then you're right. I mean, Sunday school, a lot of churches are discontinuing Sunday school. Now, here, I'm going to give you an idea on this. Just, just give you an idea, Stacy, for what you might try. There's a concept called flipping the classroom. Now, we do this a lot with the 48-day seminars because even there, it's hard to get people to just sit, you know, and watch a video or just be taught by somebody. We like a process called flipping the classroom. This is what it means. It means that the students spend their class time not listening to a lecture and then doing work outside on their own. We flip that. We do the reverse. They can listen to the lectures at home, online, and then the class time is spent struggling with the work, doing problems, wrestling with the concepts. While the teacher walks around, you know, coach style helps individuals one at a time, flipping the classroom. If you give people, now think about in your Sunday school, to have people assume that you're the smartest person in the room and to sit there with their mouth shut for 45 minutes and listen to you teach, you know, that's a challenge, especially for people who are entrepreneurial. I mean, we tend to draw people to Sunday school who are pretty passive and are just nurturing, compassionate, you know, good listeners. But if you want people who are really go-getters, you're going to have to change how Sunday school has typically been done. I would encourage you to experiment like that, where you flip the classroom, have the time together be discussion, interaction, discourse. I mean, that's a more effective model of learning anyway than just being taught from the front of the room. Just get creative. And it sounds like you're being given permission from your church. Very, very cool. But get creative in how you're going to move that forward. Victoria says, I'm currently a junior at ASU at the W.P. Carey School of Business, and I work for Petco as the adoption cap- captain for my store. I'm studying marketing and nonprofit leadership and management, which I find fulfills my true passion for life, helping animals. I frequently look at the Petco career website, looking for internships and researching what I may be interested in when I graduate. And I stumbled upon a job that I would absolutely love to do. The job is with the Petco Foundation, and I would work with animals and travel, which are important to me. The only problem is that I do not qualify for the job until I graduate in one year. Should I apply for the job now to show that I'm interested in the future, or should I just look longingly as it passes me by? All right, Victoria, great question. You're in your third year. You've got one more year of school. You're already working at Petco. They've got a position that's opened up, but you don't qualify because you don't yet have your degree. Let me give you a little secret. You qualify when they think you're the best candidate for the position. End of story. Absolutely apply for the job now. Don't worry about that. I mean, companies, all companies have those qualifications listed 
to screen the number of candidates they get, and they violate those qualifications every single day by simply bringing somebody on where they're convinced it's the best person for the job. So, yeah, absolutely. Golly. Go right on. Apply. Convince them you're the best person for the job. Get your foot in the door right now. More and more companies, incidentally, are removing from their qualifications the requirement for a bachelor's degree. They're realizing it has less and less specific direct value, likely, to what they want the person to do anyway. They're more interested in what has a person done in the last 6 to 12 months. Well, you can show what you've already done as adoption captain for the store that you're working in. I mean, you got a great setup there and certainly have an advantage over most people who would be applying who do have their college degree. Now, a great question. You know what I'm going to insert here? I had a conversation this week with Bob Berg. Bob has a new book coming out this week called The Go-Giver Leader. Now, Victoria, you're talking about leading. You know, how do you lead? His book has some real counterintuitive things in it about what we typically think about leading you know, coming in with a big stick and so on. Well, let me just play this. It's, it's just about 10 minutes long, but this is my conversation with Bob Berg. Well, Bob, I'm delighted to have you on today to take a little of your time to share about this new book that you have, The Go-Giver Leader. Thanks for being with us. Oh, my pleasure, Dan. What a delight to be with you. Well, when it came up, I said, man, I have got to talk to Bob when you're book the go-giver came out it was when i immediately contacted the publisher and said look we sell books i want 100 copies to start off with we gave that out because it was such a powerful message you know kind of counterintuitive to give and expect that to benefit you tell us a little bit about just your philosophy about how giving prompts what we receive ultimately sure well, I think in a sense, and, and what the whole, I guess, what the basic premise was of the go-giver and, and of the go-giver leader is simply that shifting one's focus, and I think this is really the key, shifting one's focus from getting to giving. And when we say giving in this context, we simply mean constantly and consistently providing value to others. And knowing and understanding that not only is that a you know, nice way to live life, a pleasant way to live life and conduct business, it's actually a very financially profitable way to do business as as well. Not for any kind of you know, la la out there reasons, just do good things and good things will happen. It's really when you think about it in a a market based or the the relatively free market based dichotomy in which we live where where no one is forced to buy from you, people are going to do so because they believe it's in their best interest to do so. And that's the only reason why they should. They're not going to buy from you because you have a quota to meet, because you need the money, or because you're just a really good person who thinks they should buy from you. It's going to be because they see value in it. And what that does and what is so great about free market capitalism, not cronyism, but actual free market capitalism, is that it actually forces the salesperson or business person to totally focus on pleasing the other person. And this is why we say that money is simply an echo of value. It's the thunder, if you will, to values lightning, which means nothing more than that the value must come first. And the money you receive is simply a very natural and direct result of the value 
you've provided. And this is whether we're talking about financially, uh, you know, or or emotionally, or socially, or relationally, and in all the other ways. That uh, that is, you know, it seems almost counterintuitive, and yet we know, you know, certainly it's a biblical principle and just a common sense one. You just give. I told somebody recently that I think I give away 90, 95% of what I have, but I do pretty well on the 5%. Mm-hmm. Don't, <laughs> don't try to figure out in advance even who that's going to be. So that yeah. means just give, give, give. Well, your book, Go-Giver, certainly conveyed that message. And your oh, new thank one, you. The Go-Giver Leader, just coming out this week, mm-hmm. uh, is more of the same from a leadership standpoint. Yeah, You have some things in here as well, Bob, that are kind of counterintuitive, like we Mm -hmm. gain power by saying less. I mean, Mm -hmm. usually leaders think you maintain your leadership position by dominating, by controlling the conversation. Talk to us a little bit about that, in that pull rather than push, gain power by saying less. Yeah. Well, you know, I think you just summed it up right there. You said it beautifully when you said pull rather than push, because influence, and if you look at it really, if you if you take the word influence, it really it's really nothing more than the ability to move a person or persons to a desired action, usually within the context of a, a specific goal. Now that's the definition, but I don't believe that's the essence of influence. The essence of influence is exactly what you said. It's pull. It's certainly not push. You never hear people say, wow, that Dave or that Joanne, she is so influential. She has a lot of push with people. Mm -hmm. She is just so pushy. Everybody loves her. They just buy into whatever (laughs) she wants. No, it's pull. Uh, It's, it's, you know, the difference between trying to lead through compliance uh, and trying to lead through earning people's commitment. One is about you. The other is about everyone else. You know, to be a go-giver leader means that you know you're charged with a huge responsibility to serve others, to focus on bringing exceptional value to those you lead. And I think first and foremost, a go-giver leader understands that great leadership is never about the leader, but about everyone whose lives they have the opportunity to touch. Well, you, you, you open up a whole lot of applications, and certainly we understand that everyone is a leader. This is not mm-hmm. just for CEOs of companies. I mean, right. If it's a, a stay-at-home mom or a school teacher or a construction mm-hmm. worker, you know, they, we are leaders in that we are, we are trying to establish our influence and impact to do our jobs well. Now, one of the things that you talk about in the Go-Giver Leader is the overuse when people are talking of I, me, my, mine. People get so caught up in that, and it's really pretty transparent that the focus is on them. Mm. How can we shift our verbiage a little bit just in conversation? so that it doesn't appear that we're egotistical. Well, you know, I, I, boy, you're so right. And I, and I think that it's first being aware of it because like anything else, Dan, if we're not aware that there's an issue, we're not going to take the steps to overcome that and to, to improve upon ourselves. Um, by all means, a go-giver leader uses words like we and us and our, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. When describing the team's victories, right? When there's, when there's bad news or when things haven't gone well or problems occur, that's when he'll use or she'll use the words I or me. So they will take the blame and, and, and give away the credit. 
Um, but you're absolutely right that that level five leader that uh, Jim Collins talked about in, in Good to Great, uh, talent wise, there wasn't a whole uh, a whole much of a difference between the level four and level five leader. They were both talented, but where the level four leader was about themselves, the level five leader is about building their people. Everything about that was how do they make those on their team shine? Uh, the, the the many leaders, they, they want to take the stage. The go-giver leader, they want to give the stage. And that's really what we're talking about. It's, it's being inclusive and at the same time, in a sense, giving leadership to others, helping to equip them. Absolutely. You know, we assume sometimes that leaders kind of have all the information, that it just kind of filters down from there. They have to be in charge and they have to be to know all things well obviously that's not true or a realistic goal for anybody yet you do say that you can lead only as far as you grow mm. now talk to us a little bit about that because this this need to continue growing ourselves if we're going to be effective and the dangers of getting stuck as a leader in our own growth oh uh, you know, I, and I love this topic because it's all about growth. Uh, life success is all about continuing to grow. Uh, you know, I loved in, in 48 days to the work you love when you talked about the first thing you do is, is to, you know, to listen to, uh, in fact, you were talking about, I think it was 25, 30 years ago, almost when you were, when you had some, some difficult things happening. And so what you did is, is every day you started just listening to CDs, uh, learning, growing, listening to Zig, you know, listening to Jim Rohn, listening to, and I think that's something, and you do that every day. And I think that's something that we all need to do. We, we need to look to realize that school is never out for the pro. We always need to keep learning. We need to keep improving ourselves. We need to keep getting that information. And so it's all about growth. At the same time, uh, I, I don't know if you know Dan Rockwell, a uh, leadership freak uh, on, um, on Twitter. He says, if you're the smartest person on your team, then you have a weak team. <laughs> which means a, a great leader looks to surround themselves with people who know more than they know in, you know, in different areas. That's right. Absolutely. Well, you have something that, again, pushes against common kind of mentality in that we expect leaders to be you know, hard, driving, determined, dominant. And you talk about leading from your heart. How do you lead from your heart? And not just be a pushover. Yeah, you know, and it does sound counterintuitive, uh, but when you think of it, it it really makes sense on a practical level. I think of someone like Bob Chapman. He is the CEO and uh, a chairman and CEO of uh, St. Louis-based Barry Waymiller, a several billion dollar, huge manufacturing firm, and one of the most profitable companies. He he uh, wrote a book. Um, uh, 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 called Everybody Matters. And he actually, and, and he was at first that hard driving leader. And one day he tells a story, he went to a wedding and he saw his, uh, of his, uh, a good friend of his daughter. And he, the, the friend of his, the father of the bride made a toast, welcoming the son-in-law to the family and so forth. And, and, and what Bob says is that he knows that he knew that what that father was really saying was, you know what, this is my daughter. 
the daughter who my wife and I have have nurtured and nourished and protected and prepared, and we are putting her in your hands, and we want you to treasure her. And he said, he had an epiphany at that moment, Bob Chapman did. He said, at that moment, I realized something. Every single person who comes to work at Barry Waymiller is someone's precious son or daughter. Oh, wow. And as a leader, he said, I have a responsibility to, to protect and nurture. And so now, the, and this is, and here's the funny thing. There's nothing soft or, or as I say, la-la about this. His company is a very profitable company. His people love working there. The, the um, loyalty between people who work there is just, it's exquisite. It's fantastic. Uh, you look at a company uh, such as Dave Ramsey's and look at how he leads with such caring. He leads from the heart. Uh, and, and People love being there. People are totally. You, you look at Southwest Airlines, and you look at how they lead. As as Colleen Barrett, the uh, former president, said, they lead with love. These are not soft things, or if they are, well, then there's nothing wrong with that because it actually happens to work. It works. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I love these examples. I love to kind of uh, things that are disruptive, things that take a counterintuitive kind of look at commonly accepted principles and shows the value in doing that well the book is the go-giver leader delightful read i loved reading it the story about ben being given a leadership opportunity and how some things unfolded in uh, kind of unexpected ways and yet it projected him to a larger position of leadership because he really did follow his heart bob it's a delightful book Uh, thank you for allowing us to peek into your wisdom and to put it together in such an appealing way. Where can people learn more about the go-giver leader? Oh, thank you. I, I so appreciate that. And, you know, and I was very blessed, by the way, to have as a co-author John David Mann, who is really the lead writer and storyteller. He's an absolutely brilliant guy. So I, I just uh, I'd be remiss <laughs> to not mention sure. him. And I welcome anyone to to visit me at, at uh, they can visit either Berg, B-U-R-G dot com or the dot com. And if they go to the dot com and scroll down, they'll see uh, information about the book. That's the best place. I love it when an author has added value, bonus items, study <laughs> guides, and all of that. So go to the thegogiver.com. Well, Bob, thank you for your time. Uh, we wish you well. Uh, we're going to help get the word out about the Go-Giver Leader. Thanks for being with us today. I appreciate you so much, Dan. Thank you. Well, there you go. I don't know if you remember the book, The Go-Giver, but it really was one of the highlights, highlighted books. I got a couple questions today about books that I recommend, incidentally. And uh, that was one that's been on my list now for several years since it first came out. The Go-Giver, just that counterintuitive kind of approach. You know, we give, we, we gained by giving. But you heard some of the things in there in Bob's comments about the new book, The Go-Giver Leader. You know, school is never out for the pro. Money is simply an echo of value. I love that statement. Money is simply an echo of value. And then leading with love, some of the principles there. Well, let's go on with our questions. David says, um, good morning, Dan. I have an autistic son, and I want to teach him that he can be an entrepreneur. Are there any books to read to help him? And is there, are there any well-known people who are autistic and breaking the mold? Thank you for your time. Well, when we get into this area of ADHD, ADD, 
bipolar, autism, Asperger's. I mean, there's a, this is a broad spectrum of things here. Are there people who have all of those? Yeah, there's a whole lot of them. I mean, people like even Steve Jobs and Richard Branson, you know, ADD. I mean, there are a lot of, we, we've done a lot of talk on here about that. But to go more specifically to autism. Now, autism, you know, that's, again, these terms, it always concerns me because we've dealt with this with our own kids. But these terms have such a broad swath. They cover such a variety of unique individual children that uh, I want to be very, very careful about making those broad sweeps. But specifically, autism has to do with, with three main areas of challenge, and those are social communication, social interaction, and social imagination. So those are the kids you know, that sit in the corner and may do uh, kind of disruptive things and don't interact well. Yeah, are there examples of people who are autistic who have gone on to do some pretty illustrious things? Yeah, absolutely. Temple Grandin is probably one of the most well-known. She's an autism advocate. You can just Google that, Temple Grandin. There was an HBO film done about her back um, probably five or six years ago, and it was just simply her name was the title, Temple Grandin. But she speaks across the country about her life growing up with autism, and now she's currently a professor at Colorado University. Susan Boyle is another one. You recognize her? as the British gal who is very, very awkward socially, but came out on, what was that? Britain's Got Talent, American Idol, one of those. You know, Britain's Got Talent probably was was a show. I came out, wow, opened her mouth and did that amazing rendition of I Dreamed a Dream from Les Mis and went on to be become very famous and very wealthy as a result of that, even though she certainly still struggles with, with autism. Um, Dan Aykroyd is another one who is very open about his autism diagnosis. And he talked about, you know, how that's affected him, but uh, how it became part of the inspiration for some of the film work that he's done as well. Mozart is pretty clearly known for being autistic. Andy Warhol, I mean, you can, there's all kinds of indicators there and by his own admission. What I would encourage you on this David, is just be very, very careful of accepting a broad label for your son. I don't know how old your son is, but be very careful of these blanket solutions, fixes, or medications for something that has so many variations. So, yeah, read, study, talk to other parents, but ultimately know that your son is one very unique individual. I would encourage you to read David and Goliath by Malcolm Gladwell. I mean, that talks about the things that we often see as disadvantages turn out to be an advantage. There are a lot of people who have struggled with ADHD, as an example, who would not give that up because they know it's led to really big, unique opportunities for them. But in David and Goliath, Malcolm Gladwell talks about what he calls desirable difficulties, which I love that term, desirable difficulties. Uh, the very thing that may be a challenge for your son may lead to again, his unique contribution in the world. Uh, tomorrow night, we're having dinner with Ken and Diane Davis. Uh, Ken Davis is an ex- extremely successful comedian. I mean, has been for years. 
What that means is, in reality, he was not a good student. He had all kinds of academic challenges. And because of that, which so often is the case, he became a class clown. Well, there was one specific thing where they were reciting Shakespeare, and he did he volunteered some very inappropriate uh, word modifications for one of the very, it was hot out damn spot, and he went on from there. But uh, without going into the details, his teacher asked him to stay afterward. He knew he was going to get expelled from school. He knew that his parents were going to beat his tail when he got home, you know, once again, because he was disruptive. His teacher, when everybody else left the room, she said, Ken Davis, she says, you have a gift. She said, right now you're using it to disrupt class. I'm not going to allow you to do that anymore, but you have a gift and you need to use it in a positive way. She required him to go to speech class. Not exactly what he wanted to do. You know, the people who got attention, the guys are the guys with, you know, letters on their jackets because they're big in sports. He was certainly not big in sports. She forced him to go to speech class to use his gift of his mouth and humor. And it absolutely changed the direction of his life. Put him on a trajectory where he's experienced amazing success as a comedian. I mean, that's, and thank goodness for people like that in our lives at those defining moments who believe in us and see our disadvantage or dis- difficulty as something that be, can be used for our and the world's advantage. Great question. Wow. Austin says, Dan, I have this job that should in theory be a perfect fit for me, but the longer I work there, the less satisfied and fulfilled I am. I also spend about one and a half hours commuting to work every day. I've read a few books this year on personal growth, including 48 Days and some of the Zig Ziglar books. I've come to the realization that I truly enjoy the art of selling and serving others. The problem I keep running into is that I'm the main breadwinner of the family. As my wife gave birth to our first son six months ago, and the job I have provides extremely good benefits, but the pay is just enough to get by. My wife is uncomfortable with me leaving the job unless I can guarantee a salary, so a straight commission job really stresses her out. Any help would be appreciated. Well, you present here, Austin, the classic catch-22, the classic trade-off. You want to guarantee, but you really see yourself as a salesperson. Those do not go together. Those don't go in the same sentence. Now, let's just unpack this a little bit. We know that any time you have a guarantee, you also have a ceiling on the opportunity. It's just part and parcel of the nature of that thing. Now, if you have a job with any company, the rule of thumb for a company to have you on is that your efforts ought to produce three to five times in profits what they're going to pay you. I mean, if you generate $41,000 in profits for a company, they're not going to pay you $40,000. That would be a really ludicrous business. If you, if they pay you $40,000, you ought to be making the company $120,000 to $150,000 in actual profits. I mean, that's the trade-off. So if you want to go out on your own and be totally on your own, yeah, do you have an opportunity to, to close some of that gap, to move your own net income up? Absolutely. But it's with no guarantee. So you're going to have to decide. If you want the guarantee, there's going to be a ceiling on your opportunity. 
if you really are a salesperson. I mean, I love the fact that you see yourself as a salesperson. Have you been listening to Zig? I mean, Zig was the consummate salesperson. You know, secrets of closing the sale. I mean, he has more, uh, more information on how to be effective in selling than anybody on the face of the earth. And of course, he's not here anymore. But I mean, his his material still stands as probably more information about how to be successful in selling than anybody else has ever produced. The best salespeople have no guarantee at all. I mean, they're simply confident of their ability. They've aligned themselves with the product or service they totally believe in. I I can remember back. I mean, I love selling. I love everything about selling. I love selling and I love being sold to by somebody who's really good in sales. I, I love the interaction. A few years ago, and you've heard me talk about when I went through a really big financial crash, woke up the next morning heavily, heavily in debt. I knew I had two clear options. I could have done the responsible, practical, realistic thing to do and just go get a job. I was employable, certainly. I had a master's degree in psychology. I was already teaching as an adjunct professor at the university. I could get a full-time job there without any problem. Probably making, you know, sixty or $70,000 a year. Well, not bad, but obviously that's not going to go up dramatically, even if I do a really, really good job. There's a ceiling to it. It's a cap because it's just a confined opportunity. I looked at the mathematics on that and I said, I don't know how in the world I can continue to raise a family of, with three children, five of us total, with that kind of income and ever get out of the hole that I had dug for us financially. So I jumped right back into just not, not really an entrepreneurial business. It was with an, an established company, but it was in a sales position where I had no guarantee, no benefits of any kind, nothing, zero from day one. I jumped in and by 90 days in or so, you know, I was making 10, 20,000 or 10 to 12,000 $12, a month. And that was you know, 20 years ago. The only way I would be able to do that is because I had no ceiling on what I could do. I chose that without ever thinking seriously about getting a job. Now, I, I kind of laugh when I hear someone applying for a job in sales and then they want a guarantee of $80,000 a year. That tells me they aren't really convinced they're effective in selling. They really just want a job. They see themselves as an employee, not as somebody who can really produce results. Now, keep in mind, we're moving more and more quickly in our culture to being paid for results rather than time. I mean, every company is pushing toward that. I mean, it's an old, antiquated, ineffective, and unrealistic business model to just pay people for their time. Ultimately, the only thing that can be rewarded and paid for is results. So companies are moving toward that. So if they have, if they want a new book cover designed, like I'm having done right now, I mean, companies don't pay somebody, a graphic designer, $40 an hour to do that. They'll contract that out where they pay $1,500 for the cover in its completed form. Whether it takes you one hour or 15 is really no concern of theirs. They pay for the completed process. More and more companies are moving to that kind of model. They work out some kind of a formula where you can be paid for simply what it is you do. I mean, Dave Ramsey, we were talking the other night. I mean, Dave has everybody in his company possible that's paid directly proportionate to the revenue that they generate. We need to have the janitor do that if there were a way to figure it out. And perhaps he has, I don't, I don't know. But always a conscious move toward compensating people for what they produce. So, Austin, your question, great question. And the, 
the deal is if you, in fact, want to move into selling, then remove the connection from guaranteed salary and benefits. Get away from that. Don't go, don't go there. All right. Well, hey, let me move on. David Soto says, I got a couple of them tied together here. David says, um, well, wait a minute. No, this is different. David says, just want to let you know that since coaching with excellence in January of 2014, I have yet to see my 10 X return. I'm not doing something right. Or maybe I shouldn't be a coach at all. The good news is I think I'm a writer since coaching with excellence. I published four books. Two of them are very niche down one for Latin helping Latin women finally get healthy and another for helping members of the U S air force pass their fitness exam. I've included the URLs for each of you care to share them. More good news is I have two articles that have been accepted by the good men project. Well, great. Golly. Golly that the eBooks that you reference are the primitive and Mira, the book.com M I R a, the book. Thanks for sharing those. Well, you know, I do talk about a 10 times return and I love that you recognize that what you got from coaching with Eccles may not have been to launch you into a successful coaching practice, but give you clarity in another area of expertise that you can in fact leverage and go down that road. I was just recently interviewed Well, there's just this week interviewed Scott Beebe, got that available in a little audio clip where he talks about his hundred times return for coming to coaching with excellence. Where in that first year, after investing a thousand dollars, got more than a hundred times return, meaning he escalated his income as a starting coach to over a hundred thousand dollars. Well, hey, it can, uh, we want you to be successful, but we want you to more than anything to have clarity. And there are people who come with coaching with excellence where I personally in talking to them say, I don't think this really is a direction you ought to pursue. You know, let's look at some other opportunities that would probably be a better fit. So a lot of it is for clarity. A couple other quick things here. This, Frank says, you mentioned there were some books you recommend. Can you give me a list of books you recommend? Yes, absolutely. Here's another one from Ben. who says, I've tossed around um, what are, books are an absolute must reads on your recommended reading list. I'm always wanting new material and every book I read generally leads me to two or three others. I'd love to know your top picks. Glean from a lifetime of reading. Thanks. Well, let me give you a couple books here and I'll just end with this. Let me give you a couple books that I recommend that I think are really at the top of my list. I already mentioned David and Goliath, so I'll stick with that. Incidentally, my reading list, you can get that. Just go to 48days.com slash reading. It'll take you right to the list of about 40 books that I recommend and why. But for just, I'll give you five here, just kind of at the top of the list right now in my thinking, David and Goliath by Malcolm Gladwell. It addresses so many issues that I hear from you all as listeners who are talking about things that you see as a, as a disadvantage, losing a job, getting fired, having a business fail, having ADHD, having autism, you know, those kind of things. David and Goliath is a behind the scenes look at a whole lot of other people who thought they had a difficulty and it turned out to be a desirable difficulty rather than an obstacle. The Compound Effect by Darren Hardy. Love that book. Talks about everything matters. I mean, those little incremental deposits of success lead to the big wins over time. In the same way that those little withdrawals of success lead to disaster for you as well. The Magic of Thinking Big, David Schwartz, old classic. I read it about every six months. 
How to Win Friends and Influence People, Dale Carnegie. Again, old, old classic. Great one that ought to be taught to every child by the time they're 10 years old. How to Win Friends and Influence People. And then Essentialism. Essentialism is one as well that I've talked a lot about this last year. Greg McCowan's book. Love that book. Helps us zero down into what's really important. You know, not just get caught up in everything being an urgent need. Really define what's important. We can simplify our lives a lot uh, by identifying what is really important. I want that to be more of a theme in the next couple of weeks here. We've got some other things I want to bring to the table. How to simplify our lives because so many of us are so overwhelmed with the addition of work responsibilities being 24-7 now and then social media being so pervasive as it is. We can get the sense that we're on call all the time, never really having a break. You don't want your life to be like that. You want margin in your life, in your both your time, your margin financially, and there are ways to identify what's important so you can have more of both. Well, there were some questions I didn't get to. We'll work those into next week. Um, got some things I want to talk about more on the idea of is, is adversity our friend or our enemy? What to do when adversity comes? So since we're out of time on this one, I'm going to roll that into next week. So stick around, come back for that one. And we'll talk about that more. Hey, thanks for being part of this group of people who are figuring all these things out. You got a question, shoot it to me at askdan at 48days.com. This is an organization. This is a group of people. This is a community, a growing community of people who, in fact, are finding or creating work that is meaningful, productive, purposeful, and profitable. Don't settle for less. It's gonna take all you've got